Good morning, everybody, and happy Easter. My name is Lauren Reed, and I am a senior at Wynn High School. This morning, I will be reciting the Lord's Prayer, so will everybody join me and bow their heads. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hi, everyone listening. Happy Easter. I'm Stella Myers. I'm a senior at Wynn High School, and I'm a member of the First United Methodist Church. I was asked to share my testimony over what my faith means to me and how I've seen God work or move in my life. Being a senior and having your senior year end early leaves me with a lot of confusion and sadness. It's like some days we were so ready to get out of here and leave, and then some days we look around us and we never want to leave. At least I was almost every day. But now we have no choice but to leave early. I still had a soccer and track season to finish. Never in a million years would I have thought my senior year would end from a pandemic like this. But we never really expect the worst things in our life to happen. We don't really get a warning sign. It just happens and we have to put our faith in God and just roll with it. 
Throughout this quarantine time, I've done a lot of self-observing and finding my faith in God. Because who else still stays the same during times like this? God does. He did not fail me by ending my senior year early. When I look back at my high school years, I think how he blessed me tremendously with all the best friends and all the funny memories. With all the best relationships I've made with coaches and my teachers and staff, all the awards I received, and all the support from my family and community. I mean, my God gave me all these great things. He didn't just leave me with nothing in the end. I have a full heart for my past four years of school. And to everyone listening that may be in high school or about to enter high school, these are some of the best years of your life. So please, on behalf of the class of 2020, enjoy it and make the most of it. God blessed me and the whole class of 2020. He gave us each other, and for that, I'm forever thankful. And I promise, class of 2020, we will see each other soon. Even though I wanted more out of my senior year, I'm thankful that I'm kept at home with a great family with food and shelter. I see the community decorating the town for the seniors and the other students, and that right there is all from the heart of God. I see Him moving my community. I see Him leading the churches through the radio or live stream. I see Him gathering families closer together. I see adults discovering TikTok. I see Him forcing people to get out of the house and enjoy the beautiful nature He has given us. I see Him showing ungrateful people to enjoy every moment you're given because it can be taken just like that. But trust me, I've had my days where I'm upset and still in shock about this year. I hate it for my mom still working through this chaos. I hate how my dad's baseball year to coach my best friends ended. I hate how my brother missed spring baseball. I hate how I don't get to see my sister dance this year. And I especially hate it for my dog because he's so sick of us already. But we're all together, and that's all that matters to me. And trust me, the only words that can anyone can describe this mess is that it sucks. And God knows it sucks for us. But he knows we're going to make it as long as we turn to him. That's all I can do. He holds the plans and I just obey. I could be in a much worse situation during this time. And for the people that are, please continue to pray for them. Don't worry, he holds the answers and the promises. We as Christians will learn so much from this experience. This is our time to grow our faith in him. My faith to me means that the world could give me so much hurt and confusion. And with no doubt, I will still choose to turn to him. I encourage everyone to not be overwhelmed with the news on the TV, but to be overwhelmed with the news that the Lord brings in His Word. Find peace in that. Don't forget that prayer is so strong. I encourage you to put all your faith in God, for Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I hope you find peace in knowing that the Lord forgives you in all of your sins. Today is a celebration for Jesus' sacrifice for us. Rejoice because He is risen. Thank you for having me, and Happy Easter, everyone. Stay safe. Hi, my name is Will Hood. I'm a senior at Wynn High School. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand the God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Father God, I thank you for this day that we gather and we join to worship you and praise you for what you did for us on this day through Christ Jesus. And we thank you that as we look into the tomb, we notice that it is empty. That is because Christ has risen 
And God, we are so thankful for that you've done in our lives. Amen. This is an Easter unlike many of us have ever experienced. And instead of joining together with family and gathering, wearing the newest Easter outfits, or gathering for one of the largest church services the local church will see during the year, many of us are at home with our immediate families, maybe grandparents, aunts, and uncles. But many of us are celebrating today much different than we usually would. This was to be my first Easter to spend with my new church family, and having been here in Wynn for nine months now, this Easter is definitely not how I imagined it would be. It's a new, different experience that each of us are living through, and yet this year may be the time that the true meaning of Easter is recognized and celebrated more than all of the past years combined. We know throughout the testimonies of Christ's words that God does not remove his presence from those that have responded to him in faith. But have we ever stopped to think that there may be times that he will hide his presence from our awareness in order that we can grow to understand things that our heads cannot comprehend? It's strange to think that God would ever keep us from realizing that he is at work, and it goes totally against what many of us are taught in Sunday school. We're taught about a Jesus who is always with us, and to think that he would ever hide his presence from us seems a little odd. But today as we celebrate Christ's resurrection and victory over death, we must look at the events of this first Easter morning to realize that the love of Christ most often never works in the ways that you and I think and expect. Join me as I read from Luke's Gospel and as we recount the events and interactions of that first Easter morning and we see how Christ worked in the lives of his disciples and see a faith that was based on what was known by sight and how it was transformed to become a proven faith. Luke chapter 24, verse 1, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling white clothes. So the women were terrified, and they bowed face down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? And he said, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary and the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles all of these things. But the words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Now that same day, two disciples were on their way to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and together they were discussing everything that had taken place. While they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What is the dispute that you are having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, and they didn't see him. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. They came near to the village where they were going, and he gave them the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, Stay with us. It's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in, and he stayed with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on this road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying these things, Jesus appeared and stood in their midst. And he said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. Why do your hearts doubt? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they were amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything hidden about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, This is what it is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You all are witnesses to these things. And look, I am sending you for what my Father has promised. And as for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. As the reading tells us, these women at the tomb and the disciples on the road to Emmaus did not expect the things that were in store for them this day. The response the disciples showed that while they believed in the teachings of Jesus enough to follow him and call him teacher, they really dismissed his message and the sacrifice that he talked so frequently about. And their reactions this morning show that they truly didn't expect this resurrection and the events that Christ told them were to come. The disciples were gathered in grief instead of an expectant hope. They retreated to their place of safety, and it was clear that the gospel that Jesus spoke, while enough to garner their attention and their allegiance to follow him as he taught in his absence, they were filled with grief of an unknown future. This message of hope that Jesus spoke to them was not the thing that was on their minds this morning. Had the message of Christ the Messiah just been empty words that in the end had no foundation? Was Jesus just a well-educated, holy man who in reality spoke nothing but empty words? The disciples were no doubt feeling that all the things that they had come to hope in and believe in these past years had been all for nothing because God's presence surely couldn't be found in this hopelessness that each of them were feeling. But as the women realized with the words of the men at the tomb, Christ had already spoken of all of these things. 
You see, sometimes God keeps his presence or his involvement in different moments of our lives hidden from us until our heart has come to a point where we're able to receive and accept what the Lord is trying to teach us. And it was only when these women were reminded that they remembered that Jesus had told them all of these events and all these things that happened in the past few days must happen in order for him to accomplish what he had been sent to do. They had followed Christ. They had heard him teach and say all these things before. But when the time had come that the things that they had been taught were put to the test, they didn't realize that the words of Christ were coming true. This is the same relationship that sadly many of us try to live in regards to our faith today. We hear the teachings of Jesus. We know the commandments, the ways to be holy, and the call to be differently in the world. We accept him as our teacher. We follow him by attending church and things like that. But yet the words that he speaks are so often dismissed. And when the time comes that our faith is tested, we don't see the presence of God in our situation. And we question the truth of Christ. And like the disciples, sometimes we're overcome with grief and despair. And instead of waiting in hope and trusting in the promises of Jesus. Sometimes God will hide himself from us in order that our situation gets to a point where we have no choice but to see past ourselves and to realize that God's way perhaps isn't the same as our way. And I know that that is a hard thing for many of us to accept, that God, the one who created the whole universe and everything in it, could possibly choose to do something different than what we know to be best. But as we see from Jesus' closest followers and friends on this first Easter morning, his presence was not recognizable to them because they needed to get to a point where the words that they heard him speak with their ears were finally able to be heard in their hearts. Until a certain time, even those closest to him, the ones that he had walked with and lived with and taught, they weren't into, in a condition to receive what he had for them. Do you ever find yourself in the same place with God? Have you ever had a moment where perhaps you ask God, why hasn't my ship come in? What's the holdup? Maybe while we think God isn't hearing our prayers or like the disciples here, we begin to wonder if perhaps even... Jesus' words weren't really true, God may be looking at us and saying, have you ever stopped to think that maybe you aren't wise enough to be the captain of the ship yet? I know that's something that's hard for us to think that perhaps we are not wise enough to control our own destinies. Luke records an example of what it may look like for someone who has heard the words of Jesus, could even possibly quote them back to us, but possibly the words haven't permeated their heart to the point that it can truly understand the meaning of what Christ is saying. In verse 13, the two disciples were walking along the road to Emmaus, and Luke records that a stranger came along and joined in their conversation. The disciples had been lamenting as to how they thought Jesus would be the foretold Messiah and the one who would free them from Roman oppression. But since Friday's events, it seemed as though all of this was nothing. As they were recalling the events from the previous days, it was this stranger, he joined in their conversation, and he spoke of these words that Jesus had told them as he traveled and as he had taught with them the past few years. And with each word this stranger spoke, the things the disciples had heard many times before began to be heard differently than what they remembered. Luke recounts their testifying that there was something in his words that caused a burning sensation or feeling in their hearts. If you wanted to, you could call this a holy heartburn. I think that's cute. All the while, this stranger who we know from reading was actually Jesus, and he kept his identity hidden from the disciples. In the context of this new situation, the disciples had hit rock bottom. 
And Jesus told them things that they had previously heard, but from a different perspective. Sometimes God may keep an awareness of his presence from us, because like the disciples on the road and the women at the tomb, we're too busy trying to make God's work fit into our perspective, instead of listening to God's words and seeing his works according to his greater picture. While the disciples were filled with disappointment as they had hoped Jesus would deliver them from their immediate predicament, which is Roman captivity, Jesus was in actuality working through the past day's events to save them on a much bigger scale, one that God was looking at from his own plan. While the disciples were hoping to be delivered from an earthly scale, Jesus' work was to redeem them on an eternal scale. But his followers' faith did not reach beyond their immediate setting. You see, they wanted to be free from slavery and bondage to their human oppressors, but yet Christ was working to save them from the bondage and slavery of sin and death on an eternal scale. Don't misunderstand, Jesus was definitely concerned about their earthly situation, but the slavery that existed beyond their earthly existence was of the utmost importance. It wasn't until Jesus broke the bread with the disciples again in verse 30 that they were able to recognize him as the one who had walked worked and lived with them for the past couple of years. And as Jesus vanished from their midst in verse 31, the disciples realized that Christ had been with them the entire time. But yet because of their grief and the nearsightedness of their faith, they weren't able to recognize him and recognizing that everything that had been happening was just as already as he had told them it would be. Have you ever stopped to think that what if, like the disciples, Jesus is in our midst in the middle of our deepest bouts of despair, but because our faith is so focused on our immediate or limited perspective, our understanding is so shallow that we fail to recognize him. Friends, faith in Jesus can't function through our perspective, and the truth of Scripture will never, ever fit into the confines and the context by which we limit it to. We do all these things based solely on our own experiences, and we so often forget that God works outside of who we are. Our intellect, our worldview, and our ability to reason will never accurately understand or grasp God's intentions apart from seeing and executing faith through God's perspective. The disciples in verse 32 describe this burning in their heart and how it was the evidence that the head knowledge was there, but their hearts were still being prepared to realize that they had been limiting Jesus' words according to their own understandings. One of the reasons that we celebrate communion and we stress the importance and necessity of committing to regular church attendance is that sometimes our heads are so thick, I know that's hard for y'all to realize this, but our heads are so thick that we have to hear the same message of Jesus five, six, a hundred times before our head knowledge becomes the life-giving knowledge within our hearts. And I think that is the story of my life there, something that I learned as a small child. I become an adult before I even understand truly what is being said. This is why we must be people of one purpose, seeking to know Christ in his perspective rather than our own conditioned and preconceived expectations. Luke records that after the disciples realized that it was Christ speaking to them, all the things that he had been saying all along were in fact true and they were filled with the power like they had never known. And they only had one reaction to this power. As this power and the affirmation of the things that they believed overtook them, their whole worldview on their situation changed. They were no longer worried about their Roman oppression, but yet their perspective changed and their purpose changed and they moved from a place of what you would call being a technical Christian 
knowing the phrases, the prayers, and what we would say Sunday school answers to a place of faith that came from power and from the presence of Jesus in their hearts. Back in verse 5, the men in the tomb asked the women, Why do you look for the living things among the dead? And they told them to remember the words that Christ had already taught them. Everything that was happening, the empty tomb, the crucifixion, the judgment, it was all taking place exactly as Jesus had said it would. The disciples on the road, the women in the tomb, all of Christ's disciples here at this time had to be reminded of the things that they had already been told. The same is true for you and I. Sometimes we have to be reminded of things we have already been told, things we ought to remember, so that we can refocus and reorder our lives to make sure that it is our perspective who aligns with God's perspective, so that when we find ourselves in times when our faith is tested, we can keep from looking at our situation and thinking that God may be nowhere to be found. Sometimes we look for life and fulfillment among dead things. Our dead priorities, dead relationships, dead financial practices, dead time commitments, dead life paths. Sometimes we identify with these disciples walking along the road to Emmaus, remembering the words of Christ, desperately trying to figure them out and understand them from within our own perspective. We're in the presence of God, yet we never know it, and we never feel that He was far from us, because our focus is stuck on our own personal issues rather than seeing our issues according to the perspective and direction of Jesus. Let me say that uh, a little bit better. We're in the presence of God, yet we never know it, and we feel that He is far from us because our focus is so stuck on our own personal issues rather than trusting and seeing our issues according to the greater perspective and the direction that Jesus gives us. We try to fit Jesus to our way and our wants. We want to live Jesus, but we want to live Jesus our way. We don't want Jesus to take away from the things that we think we need. And this is what it means to be a technical Christian in our faith, to dismiss the words of Christ and to miss out on the power that this resurrection holds. We have to be careful that we don't seek to know Jesus apart from who he actually is. There's a power that comes from Christ rising from the dead. You see, victory and death is no small, trivial act that should or could be overlooked as easily as some of us try to be able to do it. As it serves for the disciples on the way to Emmaus, Christ's resurrection brought proof in their time of grief that he truly is the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. While their initial reaction to his death was grief and despair, it was after seeing him again that they knew that all he had taught and spoken to them was true, and they became people truly of one purpose in that moment. And that purpose was to tell of everything that they had seen. That is the same call that you and I are given with our faith today. If the power of God had been given to Jesus as the Son of God and His resurrection proves His words to be true, that same power was handed down to His disciples. And there it was handed down to all who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. Luke records this promise in Acts 1.8. Jesus promised His disciples the Holy Spirit who would strengthen them as His witnesses to carry the testimony of what they knew to the entire world, the known world, the outcast world, and the unknown world. There's a power that comes from Christ's resurrection when we realize it through Creator God and we understand that He established a covenant with you and me with, as proof of His love for us and that even while we are still guilty and we're still full of sin, Christ's sacrifice offers us freedom from our deserved condemnation. It's by this resurrection power that the Holy Spirit is given to us and within us it helps us to understand the deeper mysteries of God's original intention for us. 
and helps us to recognize his handiwork on our journey of faith. If we're not operating on his power source but trying to do life on our own, we're unable to function properly as we're unopened to the things of God and therefore we return like the women at the tomb to look for life among dead things. We seek for happiness and the sense of fulfillment or direction in hollow sources. And often we wander aimlessly in our marriages, our relationships, our careers, and the purpose of our lives. Christ's resurrection power must be the root of our faith, and our faith must be the foundation and daily operating source of our lives. It requires that the life of Jesus be more than just a moral code for us that so many people are trying and have tried to reduce it to be. His life and resurrection must be recognized as the source of redemption for our eternal souls in the hands of a righteous God. This aspect is what took the disciples from just being obedient, outwardly acknowledging the technical followers, and made them become people who would be remembered for changing the world as they lived and even died for the sake of the good news of the gospel. Christ's resurrection power is the proof necessary to give Jesus' teachings, warnings, and promises the authority that we must give them in order that his resurrection was not figurative and neither was the message he came to deliver. At some point in our lives, each one of us, I know me most certainly, are guilty of trying to do away with God's truth to satisfy our own desires and our own preferences. We read something in the Bible that we don't want that doesn't fit into the life that we want to have, and so we try to do away with it, and we try to make God's rules fit in our own understanding. But the fact that Christ rose from the dead must make us realize that faith in Jesus is not a one-time sinner's confession for the sake of our own personal mental assurance, or what we would say even fire insurance, but that Jesus was calling each one of us to repent and to believe and to become someone and of something totally different. And this is something that we can't afford to read whimsically in order to satisfy a shallow cultural expectation. It's almost that you are expected to pray this prayer and say this thing because everybody around you will look at you differently if you don't. But it was the power of Christ's resurrection for us in this atonement which works on our behalf in the court of God's judgment. His power for us doesn't always come in the deliverance from our immediate situation. It doesn't always free us from the damaging results of our own choices or even safeguard us from the vulnerability to experience hardships and disaster in this life. But it does conquer and seal our eternity in heaven. And it assures us a 180 degree change from our preset destination of hell due to the sin that is present and working within each one of us. The original sin with each one of us is replaced within us. And we're judged according to Christ's sacrifice and Christ's goodness instead of our own merit. We're then able to see God's original intentions for community and the desire that he had to bless us and share a relationship with us. And we can truly understand these words of Jesus when he said, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but will have eternal life. It was this now understood belief of the women that made them run to tell the other disciples. And it was believing the proof of this resurrection in Christ that caused the Emmaus travelers to testify with power. The power of Christ's resurrection cannot be dismissed and it cannot be regarded only as a simple doctrine or theology that we talk about in Sunday school conversation. 
because it's meant to fill the depths of our souls and to assure us that because of Jesus Christ's doing, we are accepted, we are loved, and we are freely forgiven by God the Father. And with this realization and understanding of forgiveness and assurance, we're able to experience abundant life, not due to a change in our physical situation, but in spite of it and in the midst of all tribulations that we may experience in this life, we know that our standing with God holds firm. With his raising from the grave on Easter morning, Jesus' words have been given authority as he proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life, and those who would believe in me, though they were once dead, they shall live. This assurance frees us from fear and worry of death, not only in the physical life, but resting assured that for all eternity, Christ holds the keys, and we can be confident that if Christ holds on to us, then nothing on heaven or earth can harm us. We become free to live in the light of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ as our Savior, trusting that even the hardest shackles of this world, Roman rule, poverty, sickness, not even bodily death, can take us away from the freedom that comes with Christ's resurrection power. Because if the Son sets you free, you are truly free indeed. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah as he spoke the words of God promised to those who put their faith in him comes from Isaiah chapter 42, it's verses 5 and 7. This is what God the Lord says, the very one who created the heavens and stretched them out, the one who spread the earth and what comes from it, and the one who gives life to all people who live in it. I am the Lord and I have called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold your hand, I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant with the people of the earth and a light to the nations, in order that the eyes of the blind will be opened and the prisoners will be brought out of their dungeons and from the darkness of the prison houses. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he shared with the believers what power came from Christ's resurrection. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He didn't even spare his own son, but yet he offered him up for each one of us. And how would he not also grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's chosen people? For God is the one who justifies. And who can condemn the ones that God has chosen? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, who has been raised. And now he is at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us on our behalf. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger of the sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long and we are counted as nothing but sheep to be slaughtered. But brothers and sisters, I tell you, no, because in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. Friends, I want to tell you that the resurrection power of Jesus is not something that we can quickly dismiss by the hour of the day or even be considered uh, compared to the commitments of our daily schedules. It must be the foundation, the life source, and in and of itself, it must be the very thing by which we live out every single day. And our only desire should be to know Christ in his crucifixion and his resurrection even more than we did before. 
We can't experience or operate in the power of Christ's resurrection, however, if we choose to look for life among dead things in the practices and the ways of the world. The thoughts and ways of the world will never give us the wholeness, the fulfillment, or the righteousness that comes with Christ's resurrection. And in the same way, we can't experience or operate in the power of Christ's resurrection if we settle with being only technical Christians. And I think this is something that really should convict most of us. Knowing the right answers, having that outward appearance when the situation is necessary, but not truly believing Christ's words and in His resurrection enough that we shape our life according to His word, and we allow Him to mold our hearts to be like Jesus in His death to sin, so that we can be like Him in life. So I want to ask you, are you seeking for life among dead things? Are you trying to find your purpose and find hope in things that could never deliver it? Jesus Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one who can lead us to resurrection and the only one that can lead us to the things that we so desperately need and free us from the sin within us that tries to tear us away from God. And I want to ask you, are you living as a technical Christian, knowing all the right answers, looking the part on the outside, but yet within you you're filled with anxiety, worry, shame, and fear about this life and your situation? It's Jesus Christ alone through the power of his resurrection that can break the chains of fear and sin that bind you. And only by allowing his resurrection power to pierce your heart will you truly be set free. But wherever you're at, Christ invites you to believe in what he did for you. Through the shedding of his blood, he rescued you from hell and he offers you a life that not even death can take away. Through his resurrection, he offers you the possibility of unending joy and everlasting hope and power that can change your soul. Through Christ, we're free. We're truly free. His blood took our place of judgment. His resurrection sealed the covenant between Creator God and us because we're His most loved creation. So friends, today I want to invite you to come experience life in the resurrection power of Jesus. All glory be to God the Father. Amen. Thank you.